At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey, it's Monique. I hope you're having an amazing day. Thank you so much for tuning in. This is the Brown Vegan Podcast, episode 156. And with this show, I love to present veganism from a practical perspective to help everyday people go vegan in a way that feels good to them. I also love to share overall wellness topics and vegan entrepreneurship topics because this is truly a lifestyle. It's so much more than food. Be sure to come hang out with me on YouTube and Instagram. I'm Brown Vegan on both of those platforms. So yes, I hope you're having an amazing day. I am actually outside recording this intro for you because I wanted to make sure I get a little bit of vitamin D before the day goes on because it's so easy to forget to come out. You probably hear the birds chirping, <laughs> but it's all good. I actually heard something else that didn't sound like a bird a few minutes ago. So I'm definitely probably going to wrap this up <laughs> because I'm going to stay here and mind my business. And I hopefully whatever I heard is minding his business, too. <laughs> but anyway, so, yes, I have another conversation for you. I have Taylor Wolfram on the show. She is a weight inclusive registered dietitian. And our conversation is just so rich with all of the things that we need. Need to know especially as someone who is a new vegan and hey even seasoned vegans like myself I definitely learned some things from this conversation we of course talk about why she decided to start her vegan journey the importance of B12 and how to get it I know that that's like a hot topic but it was a necessary segment of our conversation for sure we also talk about another nutrient that we probably haven't considered a lot that's very necessary and the protein debate y'all know that's like a big deal not only did we talk about protein but we also talk about ways to ensure that you get it on a daily basis Another topic that we hit on is how veganism is attractive to people who deal with disordered eating and some of the red flags to be aware of. And of course, something else that I learned is the difference between a dietitian and a nutritionist. That was also very helpful. As always, you can get the show notes and everything we mentioned in this episode at brownvegan.com. And I'll also include it in the show notes for you as well. So yes, without further ado, let's go ahead and jump right into the conversation. For me, it's always been about the animals first and foremost. So for me, my journey was when I was an undergrad student in college and it started kind of accidentally and then kind of progressed into curiosity and then really feeling like, okay, this, this aligns with my values. So, you know, I grew up in the Midwest, kind of traditional meat and potatoes diet as as a kid. I didn't know any plant-based eaters at all. And then when I got to university, you know, I had, you know, more autonomy over my food choices and was eating at the dining hall and 
just wasn't choosing meat very, very often. And there were lots of options. And so that made me wonder like, oh, you know, does that mean I'm vegetarian? What does that mean? So I just started looking into it. And then, you know, through that learning more about the animal agriculture industries and, you know, the cognitive dissonance, as we like to say, kind of became aware to me like, oh yeah, you know, I, I love animals, right? I say I love animals. I love cats and dogs. You know, I always grew up, you know, with companion animals at home. And why would I treat other species any differently? Yeah, that doesn't make sense, especially if I am able to eat well, right? And feel happy and healthy without mm-hmm. eating animals. So I was like, yeah, you know what? I'm going to try to be a quote unquote vegetarian. I'm going to like intentionally not eat meat. And then after probably I'd say maybe six months of that and still getting curious, you know, as you're searching, you start to see things about the dairy industry and the egg industry and other, you know, kind of animal ag industries in addition to me. And I was like, wait a minute, (laughs) there Mm -hmm. are a lot of other horrible things going on outside of just, you know, animals raised for meat. And so I found out that at my university, there was an animal rights club that was student run. And so I just started going to some of the meetings to see, you know, what is this animal rights thing all about? What are vegans? What do they do? And I was really lucky that I met some really nice, awesome people, some of which I'm still friends with today. And it just kind of blossomed from there. I, I went to college in a big city, which was also really great you know, for kind of like my vegan coming of age, because not only were, you know, the food options a little bit better, and this was in like the mid to late 2000s. So not, not, you know, (laughs) vegan food wasn't as accessible or yummy as it is now, but also in the city, there were animal rights groups and then the state and national. So I was able to get really involved pretty quickly and have, you know, those activist mentors and really be able to have that, you know, kind of real life boots on the ground connection with people. Oh, wow. So as far as your work as a dietitian, I always feel like I say it wrong. Did you decide to do that during undergrad or was that something that came years later? Yeah, it was. And so it's really interesting because, you know, I feel like my journey to being vegan and my journey to being a dietitian was parallel as in they kind of happened around the same time, but weren't super connected. So I started college as a pre-med student and I was on that path for a couple years, but then didn't really love it. And as I learned more about healthcare medicine and got to work under some MDs and you know, working in research labs and I was a part of a, a medical like professional club and all this stuff, I was like, you know, I just really can't see myself in this field anymore, but I know I want to work with people. I'm interested in healthcare. You know, what else could I do (laughs) that isn't as a physician? Mm -hmm. And I had taken some nutrition classes and really liked them. So I started chatting with some nutrition professors and started learning about the field and, you know, what is a registered dietitian? What does it take to become one? What is, you know, what is the, what are the career opportunities look like? And 
you know, that seemed to be way more aligned with what I wanted to do in terms of getting to know your patients better, right? Typically we sit down for like 45 minutes to an hour with someone week after week, maybe, and really get to know them and and work with them. It's, you know, very different from when you see a physician and it's in and out really quick. They don't really have, you know, counseling skills. They're not really getting to know you. And obviously nutrition is much more focused on behaviors and lifestyles and things like that. So, so yeah, that change kind of happened simultaneously for me. I love that. So what's the difference between a dietitian and a nutritionist? I've always wondered that. Great question. So the saying goes, all registered dietitians are nutritionists, but not all nutritionists are, <laughs> are registered dietitians. And really that's because the term nutritionist doesn't mean anything in particular. It's, there isn't anything like there's no specific, you know, certification. It's not, the term isn't kind of like owned or governed by, by anyone, if, if that makes sense. So to become a registered dietitian, you have to go through school. Starting in 2024, a master's degree will be required. It's been optional up until this point, but it's going to be required soon. So you complete your schooling and then you have to match to a dietetic internship, which is like different clinical rotations in hospitals. You do food service rotations in hospitals and schools. You might do outpatient counseling, private practice, wellness, marketing. There's like a lot of different things where you kind of, you know, get real experience working under RDs out in the field. That's 1,200 plus hours. And then once you complete that, then you are eligible to sit for the RD exam. So that's a national exam you have to pass and then you can get your RD credential. And then on top of that, there's state-by-state licensing. So in order to practice nutrition in many states here in the U.S., you have to be licensed and the rules are different depending on the state. So some people say they're a registered dietitian nutritionist and they'll use the acronym RDN instead of RD to kind of reclaim that word nutritionist because if you know if you see someone on the on the internet who just calls themselves a nutritionist you have no idea what kind of schooling what that means. yeah or yeah. any training or credentialing they could certainly i'm not saying everyone who calls themselves a nutritionist doesn't know what they're talking about some folks who aren't RDs, but are really into nutrition. Like they have a PhD in nutrition and they're researching it, writing about it, but they aren't in clinical practice. Some folks like that would call themselves a nutritionist. So it really runs the gamut. But if you are looking, you know, to work with someone one-on-one or you're looking for someone who, you know, is a credible source, the RD credential is what you'll want to look for. Mm -hmm. So I know that you meet with your patients. You mentioned A lot of times it's on a weekly basis. You're really getting to know them. When you were in school, did you have like a track that allowed you to, I guess, go in the path of plant-based or was it more broad? Do they allow that? I don't even know if that if that's even something that's because I know the reason I want to know is because my my cousin is an MD and she told me that she didn't really learn anything about nutrition. Of course, her job is to what diagnose and prescribe, right? And so I wanted to know was it something similar that they allow you to have like some flexibility as far as what direction you wanted to go in? Yeah, that's a great question. To be honest, all programs are different, and yeah, that's so true about doctors. And I think something a lot of people don't realize is that doctors are very little, if any, training in nutrition, <laughs> which is another reason why you want to go to an RD, not an MD, for, <laughs> for nutrition concerns. But yeah, so 
the undergrad program is like very generalized and it's honestly mostly hard science. It's a lot of biology, chemistry, biochemistry, psychology, sociology. And then of course you have what's called medical nutrition therapy classes where you learn like, okay, someone has kidney disease. What kind of dietary interventions work for them? That sort of thing. In my master's program, you know, we got a little bit more into the weeds with some of those things, and there's more opportunities to learn about different specialties. But my programs were, were pretty broad versus my associate dietitian, for example. She went to Loma Linda, which is out in California, and that mm-hmm. whole program is very plant-based focused. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. So when you're looking for clients, like what are people typically coming to you for? Because in my mind, I'm thinking it's someone who wants to go plant-based or vegan. I know I'm using it interchangeably, even though I know it's not the same thing, but people who want to come to you, what do they typically want from you? Because in my mind, I'm thinking that they want to figure out how to put meals together in a way that keeps them, you know, thriving, making them feel, they feel amazing. I don't want to talk about looking amazing, but they feel amazing and they're feeling satisfied because a lot of times people feel like it's restrictive. So what are people typically coming to you for? Yeah, absolutely. In terms of, you know, just wanting that confidence of knowing they're getting all the nutrients they need as a vegan. But I would say only probably half of my clients are vegan. So first and foremost, you know, I, I'm a registered dietitian. I'm, I'm a healthcare provider and my specialty is in weight inclusive anti-diet intuitive eating nutrition, which means I take a different approach than the traditional like dieting, weight loss, restrictive approach. I work more with folks who have tried all of that and have been miserable and it's not working for them. And they are just looking to finally have a peaceful relationship with food, a peaceful relationship with their body. They want to learn how to connect with themselves and just really be able to nourish themselves in a way that isn't restrictive or stressful or obsessive. And so that's, you know, my overarching approach and my specialty. And then I have this subspecialty of veganism. And I also work with vegans using that same approach. So that's why I'd say probably only half of my clients are vegan. And if, if they're not vegan, then I'm not going to be pushing them to go vegan. Because again, like, while I have that specialty, that's, that's not my whole business. And that's, also not my role as a healthcare provider to convince you <laughs> to eat a certain way. Do it, right, right. And you know what's interesting? People say, I may have someone that's listening who's not a vegan yet, or because I know I do have a lot of people that listen that aren't vegans. And sometimes people think that veganism is restrictive. So the fact that your practice is anti-diet, it's not about restriction, it's about being practical in this lifestyle, What do you have to say for people who think that this is not, that's not a possibility for them? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I just want to validate, you know, why some folks may think that, right? Because I think it really depends on what you've been exposed to. And if all you know is a very restrictive form of vegan eating, or that's all you've seen, or that's kind of what you assume, you know, then that would make sense. However, Mm -hmm. 
it is very possible, especially nowadays, even in like rural areas and small towns, to access a wide variety of vegan foods. So you can have, you know, vegan versions of almost anything that you were eating before right. you were vegan, which is really wonderful because that satisfaction piece, I I really believe is a key part of maintaining veganism long term. Mm-hmm. It is. It really, really is. It'll keep you going and feeling good about your decision for sure. Yep. So I wanted to talk to you about some of the, I guess, vitamins or is it minerals? I guess it'd be vitamins yep. and minerals that people <laughs> people come across and they're feeling like, okay, I think I want to be a vegan. I think that I want to start, but I'm concerned about this vitamin or this mineral. So let's start with B12. What should we know about B12 and how can we ensure that we get enough in our diet? Because that's a huge one. We know that <laughs> everyone always talks about B12. It, it, it really is. And I feel like there's a few different camps, unfortunately. So I'm glad you're asking this question because I think it can be easy sometimes to assume like, oh, everyone knows, <laughs> right? Kind of like the protein thing. Some of these, yeah. I call them like the elephant in the room, kind of like, like everyone knows these things. So vitamin B12, we have to get through a supplement as vegans. And I can talk about why that is if you want. I also don't need to bore sure, people with do. the details. Okay. No, 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 please do. No, <laughs> okay. no, please do. So it's a vitamin that, yes, it's found in animal-based foods, but it originates in bacteria. So it's produced by bacteria in animals. It's produced in their guts, so in their intestines. And then it you know, gets on the meats and into the other animal products and things like that. So we are animals, right? <laughs> and our intestines do make vitamin B12, which is cool. However, the part of our intestines where those bacteria live that make the B12 is farther down in our digestive tract than the part of our digestive tract that absorbs the B12. So essentially any B12 the bacteria in our gut make, we're just pooping out. So that's why we, we have to eat it, right? So, so that we can absorb it. So if you're not eating animal foods you need to get it through a supplement. Now, some people will say, well, those animals, you know, are pooping in the soil or farmers are using manure in their, you know, farms to grow produce and that, you know, those B12 producing bacteria are getting on our produce. So that's fine, especially if you don't eat or if you don't wash your produce and you're getting B12, which is not correct <laughs> or safe. I recommend washing your, your produce. And then there's also some information around the internet saying that certain foods that are vegan have B12, like sea moss or seaweed or tempeh, or there might be some mushrooms. I've, I've heard other things, but this isn't true. And this can be really confusing because people will say, oh, no, no, like I read this study and they found B12 was in these foods. But what we find is that the tests that those studies are using to measure B12 are not accurate. They're not, basically they're not detailed enough. They're, they're finding things that are called B12 analogs, which look a lot like vitamin B12, but actually are not like the active form of B12 that we need. There are a couple kind of random (laughs) plants out there where there have been like a handful of studies. It's like, well, maybe they maybe this plant does have active B12, but we need way, way, way more studies and information before we can go out and say like, this is a reliable source. So long story short, you have to take a supplement to get your B12 as a vegan. 
You do not want to risk getting a vitamin B12 deficiency. B12 supplements are pretty inexpensive. They're affordable. They tend to be easy to take. So that one is just kind of, you know, cut and dry. Take your B12 supplement. Oh, wow. I'm so glad you're talking about this because I've read some of those that talked about different plants that we can get it from as well. So this is good. This is really helpful. What about if I get like, say, I don't even know if this is true, but plant-based milks that are fortified with 12. Is that fine? Is that a good source of it? Or do I really have to just take this up? Yeah. So you can, I would just say you have to be very diligent about getting enough servings of those B12 fortified foods every single day. So if you're someone Mm -hmm. who's like, yep, I have that food every single day because I know I have it, you know, with my breakfast or whatever, and without a doubt, I always eat it. But for a lot of people, they're probably not eating the same things every day, or maybe they just don't want to be like that obsessive about like, I have to make sure like I eat this. So it's just a little bit easier to maybe take a supplement or some people may need to supplement with other things. So they're taking a multivitamin that that has B12 in it anyway. And so it. Yeah. I think for peace of mind, it truly is best to go ahead and take the B12 supplement. Mm-hmm. I know that, of course, a B12 deficiency is common. It can be common for vegans, but is it also the same for meat eaters? Are they not sometimes absorbing it as well? Or is it just a vegan situation, a vegan thing? That's a great question. So in terms of food, if you're eating meat, you're you're fine if you're eating meat regularly. However, our digestive tract's ability to process and absorb the B12, it wanes over time. So all older people, regardless of their diet, actually are supposed to take a vitamin B12 supplement. So even meat eaters, once you hit a certain age, I believe it's 50, which isn't that old, obviously. <laughs> should be, I know, right? I was like, wait a minute. Yeah, should be taking a vitamin B12 supplement. And then there are some people who just might have an issue in their digestive tract where they can't absorb it and they'll have to get a B12 shot every so often in order to get their B12. So it's certainly not just a vegan thing. But when we look at the okay. food itself, that's, that's definitely a vegan thing. Yeah, yeah. What about protein? Because I really want to hit that before we go on to talk about other things, because I know that, like you mentioned, that's a that's a big one for, that a lot of people have concerns about. Let me know this. Is it something that we should be really concerned about? Or is it one of those things, if we eat enough, we should get what we need? Yeah, I would say it's more towards the latter. You don't need to be really concerned about it. But I also hear this like, oh, just eat enough calories and you'll get enough protein thing going around. And I don't necessarily think that's true either because I don't know <laughs> what people are eating, right? And right. and where those calories are coming from. So a really simple kind of guideline I like to offer is to make sure that you're eating several servings of legumes every single day. And legumes is, is a category of foods that includes beans, lentils, peas, and peanuts, which might seem like not that many foods, but when you think about it, it actually is a lot, (laughs) especially when, when you remember that soybeans are a bean and anything made from soy. So like tofu, tempeh, soy-based meat, soy milk, soy yogurt, those foods all quote unquote count as a legume as well. Same with peas, right? Pea protein is a really common protein in a lot of the vegan meats nowadays. And so if you're eating, you know, several servings of those foods a day, which is really common, right? When we think about how we typically eat, you know, beans and rice, you know, we'll have 
you know, some tofu over noodles, or maybe we'll have peanut butter on our toast in the morning, those sorts of things. It's, I'd say like a pretty normal way to eat, but I do get concerned that I see a lot of folks who are just so hyper-focused on eating vegetables and vegetables are great, but they're not going to give you all the nutrients you need. So I always tell y'all that you can truly enjoy everything you love as a vegan. That includes cookies. That's why I'm working with Maxine's Heavenly for this episode of the show. I told y'all before about their super soft cookies, but today we're going to talk about how much I love their new line of crispy homestyle cookies. Like the super soft ones, the crispy cookies are sweetened with natural, unrefined sugar. They don't have a million ingredients and they're gluten free. Don't let the gluten free scare you away because you do not sacrifice on taste and they definitely take care of your sweet tooth. My favorite ones are the chocolate chip because, of course, I love chocolate. Also, I feel like every time I bite into it, it's a chocolate chip in each bite. It's just so crispy. It's just really good together. My son Elijah approves. You all know that's my picky eater. He said we should get more boxes. So make sure you head on over to MaxinesHeavenly.com and use the discount code BROWNVEGAN to save 25% on your first purchase. That's MaxinesHeavenly.com, discount code BROWNVEGAN as one word. I'll also be sure to link them in the show notes and blog posts for this episode. I'm working with Freight Farms for this episode of the show to tell you about their mission to revolutionize local access to food. So they do this by designing and selling the leading hydroponic shipping container farm. Freight Farms is in a business of building farms, but not the type you're probably thinking of. In fact, their Greenery S container farm is actually a vertical farm, so picture walls of lettuce. They use innovative climate control technology paired with an app to simplify farming. This allows anyone in any climate to grow high-quality, fresh produce on a consistent basis, leading to fewer food miles and less food waste. Freight Farms aims to make eating and growing local produce easier and more accessible, and it opens up a plant-based lifestyle to people in places where fresh produce couldn't typically be grown year-round. To learn more, all you have to do is visit FreightFarms.com. I'll be sure to link to their website in the show notes and blog posts for this episode. So outside of the B12 supplement, is there any other recommendations that you have for us? I mean, of course, I know a lot of people, I always see this online. You don't need to do this. You don't need to do that. Just get your your nutrients from food. But I think there's sometimes we have, sometimes we have little holes in there that we need to fill. So are there any other supplements that you would recommend? We do have holes to fill. And I appreciate you saying that because my approach isn't like, we shouldn't be misleading people, right? We don't want to make these grandiose promises about vegan eating. And we do have some studies that we can tend to fall short on certain nutrients. And I think it really behooves us to be honest about that, right? We need to empower folks to get the nutrients they need so that they can be well-nourished and healthy as well, not only for themselves, but again, if we want to represent veganism positively, we we <laughs> want to cut back on all these media stories about vegans being malnourished, right? You're so right. Yes. Yeah. Yes, yes. So I'd say another nutrient, and this is one that I don't hear discussed often outside of nutrition circles, is iodine. A lot of people don't think about iodine. And so that is something that 
if you're vegan and not using iodized salt at home, that you do need to take an iodine supplement. Non-vegans will get their iodine through dairy and eggs and eating sea animals. But obviously, if you're not eating those things as a vegan, then iodized salt and a supplement are really your, your main options. Some people will say, oh, I get iodine through seaweed. However, Seaweed contains like a highly variable amount of iodine, regardless of what it actually says on the label. When seaweed mm. products are are tested in labs, they found like maybe hardly any iodine in one sample of seaweed and then like way, way, way too much in the next sample of seaweed. So it's really variable and it's not a, a reliable source. So if you're not using iodized salt, you just need a half teaspoon a day to get all the iodine you need then you need to take yeah. a supplement. And I do want to make a note about the salt because a lot of people think, oh, you know, we eat plenty of salt here in America. I don't have a problem <laughs> getting salt in. I'm sure I'm getting enough iodine. But the salt used in processed foods is not iodized. So it has to be the salt that you are physically like seasoning your food with or cooking with at home and it needs to be iodized. Okay. So what are the benefits? Like, why do we, why do we need to care about that? Yeah, great question. So iodine, it's an essential nutrient. It's really, really essential for thyroid health. And also if anyone is pregnant or has any little ones, it's really important for the developing fetus, especially for the brain and for cognitive abilities. Yeah, good. That's good to know. My mom actually has Graves' disease and she's had it for about you know, 18 years or so. And I know that's genetic. So that's something I definitely need to focus on for myself. So thank you for mentioning that. So I want to kind of shift gears and talk about diet culture and how it's just leaving us out here <laughs> struggling. All of us are struggling because of it. And the reason I want to talk about this is because I feel like this is an area that that bothers me as well. I've never felt like I necessarily fit into the vegan community because I don't have this, for whatever reason I've been told in my past and just in life that vegans are skinny and I've never <laughs> been a skinny person. So I just, I would love to talk about your views on, you know, diet culture, anti-diet, restricting eat, restrictive eating, just wherever you want to start. Let's go, Taylor. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so sorry you've had that experience. And, you know, I've, I've had that too, right? Kind of like those backhanded compliments, so to speak, where people are like, oh, you're vegan? Well, you, you know, you're not skinny or you don't look malnourished or you look like you're well-fed. And it's like, okay, <laughs> thanks. I know. Did I ask you that? I know. Seriously. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like, yeah, I'm eating good. It's, you know, it's not a problem. And also <laughs> food is not the only thing that impacts our body size. Right. And, and I think that's one of the key kind of lies that diet culture tells us is I mean, number one is that thin is better, right? It's kind of like this, yeah. you know, there's lots of hierarchies in our, in our social and cultural world and body size is one of those hierarchies. I think for anyone who lives in the Western world, like you just know, right? You're raised kind of understanding mm -hmm. that thinner is better, bigger is, is worse and that yes. you need to do whatever it takes to shrink yourself and become small and stay small. And that the way to do that is through dieting and exercise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We've definitely been taught that. The other side of it too, though, is the fact that I feel like sometimes 
people are drawn to this lifestyle because they already have issues with food disorder eating. And so they kind of feel like veganism is attractive because in their minds it's already restrictive. And so they can kind of use that as a reason why they eat the way they do instead of really getting to the the problem that they have as far as eating with food. Do you notice that just in conversations with clients and just in general that people are kind of drawn to this lifestyle for that reason? Oh, absolutely. And it makes sense, right? When you look at all of the promises out there and claims about, oh, go vegan and finally, you know, lose that weight and keep it off or, you know, just these grandiose sensational claims, not only about weight and body, but about health as well. So it makes sense, mm-hmm. right? It's it's really pushed that way in a lot of circles, especially more like the plant-based spaces. But yeah, you're absolutely right. I see that in practice and I, I've seen it in the research where studies that kind of look at the timeline, you know, for people who are vegan and have disordered eating or an eating disorder, a lot of the times the disordered eating or the eating disorder came first and the veganism Mm -hmm. was just kind of used as a tool, right? Like you were saying, like, it's just, it's almost like this socially acceptable way to restrict, but at at the core of it, it's not actually about ethics or the animals. It's really kind of wrapped up in that disorder. Yeah. So what are some things that people need to be aware of? Because the reason I want to know this, because a lot of vegans, we, we start the lifestyle and then we are like in love with all of the fun junk food. I mean, there's so much amazing food, all the fun junk food out there. And then we come across maybe an article or someone says, oh, you're not eating healthy enough. And then before you know it, you've eliminated nearly everything out of your diet. You're no longer eating oil. You're no longer putting salt, like you're using the iodine, like you were saying. You're no longer doing a lot of the things that will help you, you know, sustain you and be on this journey long term. So what are some some red flags that you've noticed that people may be leaning towards more disorder eating and vegans? Yeah, well, you really said, you know, one of the main ones is is restricting vegan foods, right? And, and doing that because we're terrified of what those foods are going to do to our weight or, or our health. And really, we don't have any research to, to prove that you can eat zero of those foods, <laughs> Right. For, for, wow. for good health and wellness. Like we, yeah. we really don't have strong science to say that that's necessary. So what I commonly see, and you kind of mentioned our oil, right? There's this huge anti-oil faction of the plant-based world, oh, yeah. sugar and, and vegan processed foods. And I'm not saying you have to eat those foods all the time or every day or force feed yourself foods you don't like or that don't make you feel well. But if you are feeling stressed about those foods, you're afraid of them, they're causing you anxiety. You know, when you do eat them, it causes you like a lot of, you know, kind of mental strife. Like those are some warning signs if you're not able to kind of have a peaceful relationship with these foods and, you know, kind of eat them when you want, not eat them when you don't want you know, if they're feeling very charged for you, I would say that's that's kind of a red flag and something to get curious about. Mm-hmm. I agree. It's so easy to do, especially when you start to do more research and you're following a lot of people on social media and reading blogs and people are just so many so much noise out there that sometimes it's hard for you to determine what works best for you. So how do you find like a balance? I don't even know if that's the right word to use, but how do you find, (laughs) I guess that is the right word, like some type of a sense of consuming the information, just doing your research, but also applying what makes sense 
to your life? Like, how do you, how do you find that? for yourself yeah you know it's tough i'll say because diet culture is so prolific and insidious Mm -hmm. i mean and that's how a lot of people stumble on this stuff in the first place right you could be a full-blown 100 animal rights vegan and just be googling about veganism and the next thing you know you're on this like anti-oil blog that's scaring you that if you roast your veggies in olive oil, you're going to have a heart attack tomorrow. <laughs> right. And, mm-hmm. and like, that stuff is out there everywhere. And, and, and I know how difficult it is. And it's like, Oh my gosh, like that's so scary. And we don't know what to believe. Right. Or maybe there's someone out there writing these things who seems really credible. And it, it's, it's really tough, which is why I only recommend like very few, very specific resources on nutrition and and health because I am aware of how much kind of harmful damaging information there is out there and it takes a lot of knowledge and a lot of resilience to be able to kind of sift through all of the BS Mm -hmm. and so Mm -hmm. I say that you know when you are looking through things you know to notice the red flags in the content that you're consuming in terms of, you know, the, the always or never kind of advice about certain foods, anything making extreme claims about health or weight, anything focused on weight loss in general. I would say those are things you would probably want to stay away from. And that's honestly, I created an, an online course about vegan nutrition because I didn't have anything that was like 100% free of of stigmatizing language about body size or kind of restrictive advice. There are some sources that I will recommend, but kind of give a little disclaimer like, hey, FYI, you're going to see this in there. (laughs) Just make sure you take that with a grain of salt. But there is this huge gap in the vegan health and nutrition world, you know, of, of that kind of information. It's like, okay, for example, I just want to go somewhere and learn the truth about vitamin B12, right? Or like, I just want to learn <laughs> how, how to get enough protein, you know, without all of the extra kind of like diet culture stuff being thrown at you. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's so hard. It's so hard. But I like how you said that just like going into it, knowing that not everything (laughs) is going to be for you. And when people say, no, don't do that, don't ever do that, then you know that it's probably a little extremist. And I feel like (laughs) there's something about this movement that just attracts people that are a little extreme anyway. (laughs) I know you probably see that online too. It's just like, ooh. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah. So what about, how do you, okay, because I know that with your work, you help people who want to find peace with food and exercise? Like, what's an example of how you're doing that? How are you helping people feel okay in their bodies, feeling okay with what they eat, feeling okay with how they show up for themselves? Like, what are you doing in your practice to help people move into that direction? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it really depends on where a person is starting from. What I would do for someone who's just kind of been a yo-yo dieter is, is very different than maybe where we'd start with someone who has like full-blown anorexia nervosa. But the the frameworks that I use, so intuitive eating is one of them. I'm sure some of your listeners have have heard of this, but I find that it's become like a trendy buzzword or phrase. And a lot of people don't realize like this is actually like a science-based framework. Like it's a specific thing. (laughs) It was created by two registered dietitians in 1995. It has tons of research behind it. 
there's a book on it. There's a workbook. Like there's all of this stuff. And I think a lot of people think it's just, oh, eat whatever you want, whenever you want. And there's so much more to it than that. So that can be a really helpful framework for people in terms of like, you know, rejecting that kind of like diet culture mentality, connecting with their body, making peace with food, really getting in tune with their hunger and fullness cues, respecting their bodies with food, figuring out like what is like a comfortable, balanced way that nutrition can fit into their life without it becoming obsessive. So it is finding that quote unquote balance, right? Between honoring your cravings and just kind of like loosening the grip, so to speak, on food while also, you know, Mm -hmm. having some of those health focused intentions about nutrition. Like you can do them at the same time. It just takes a lot of practice. And actually the nutrition part of intuitive eating comes all the way at the end (laughs) because we find when we introduce it too early, like it just becomes wrapped up in like the diet mentality. You know, it just becomes a little bit complicated. And so for a lot of folks, it takes a lot of unlearning, right? That my value is linked to my weight. My health is, you know, linked to my weight or that weight is driving my health or that I have to eat a certain way or be a certain weight for my health. And a lot of people just like plain out don't know how to eat anymore <laughs> because they've heard yeah. they've heard so many things or they've been on so many diets and they're so out of tune with their body and they don't think they can trust their body. So We go pretty slow and I really, you know, dig into the details with people and work on them with things, you know, specific for them. So if, if you want some examples, you know, for a lot of folks, you know, they might be eating very chaotically, meaning they're not eating regularly or consistently. And so that's something that is like a huge foundation because not only for, for nourishment and like blood sugar stabilization, right. We need to eat consistently throughout the day, but also our hunger and fullness cues aren't going to be really accurate or reliable until we have this Mm -hmm. solid foundation of consistent nourishment first. And then we'll work on things like what do hunger and fullness feel like? How can we begin honoring that? You know, how can we start to make peace with certain foods that you feel like you're afraid of or are trigger foods or binge foods for you? And we'll kind of work through those in a very specific way, slowly and deliberately in a, in a safe way for people so they can slowly build trust with their body and just decrease that overall fear and anxiety about food. And I will say a lot of my clients, most of my clients are also working with a therapist because I was going to ask you yeah. that because I feel like that's where a lot I mean the food is just the device right a, a lot of times uh, the real problem is usually internal so that's what I was going that was my next question like do you, a lot of your clients work with a therapist but go ahead I'm sorry yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely nope you're you're spot on I mean the food and body stuff is is just kind of like a manifestation of of deeper things right it's the drug right it's the drug of choice that's been fueled by of course you know, yeah, there's like biology, you know, and genetic risk in terms of like eating disorders and things like that. But there's also the world we live in and the diet culture and things that have been said to people, you know, all of that plays a role. And that can get really deep rooted in someone's own self-worth, right? What they think about themselves, how they feel about themselves, what they think they need to accomplish certain things in life. And so, 
I am a registered dietitian, right? I'm not going to be digging into someone's early childhood trauma with them <laughs> that may be linked to their mm-hmm. eating disorder. You know, maybe we uncover that those things are linked, but they need to actually like do that deeper work in therapy. And so the cool thing is, is that there are also therapists who also use these same kind of approaches and specialize in working with people with eating issues. And so I'm lucky to have, you know, a really great referral network. And it's, it's really a joy to be able to collaborate with other providers. That's awesome. So of course, I know you have the anti-diet vegan nutrition course. Do you work with clients one-on-one these days? I know that you're with your practice, you do have an associate that you work with, but do you, I know you've mentioned before that you do, but is this something that you're open to? Like, do you have openings right now? Are you very limited and you kind of prefer people to go to the course so you can kind of help more people? Like, how do you want people to reach out to you to work with you? I do work with folks one-on-one. However, I'm not taking on anyone new right now. Mm-hmm. Same for my associate. <laughs> I, hired, oh, I hired her last year <laughs> because the demand was so high. And then she's full now too, which is like, I love it though. That's great. It's a good good problem to have, but there are so few vegan dietitians doing this specific kind of work with intuitive eating and disordered eating recovery. And also, like I said, like licensing varies by state. So trying to like, you know, people reach out to me from all over. And so it's important to me to offer as many referrals as I can. Like, hey, I can't help you, but so-and-so might be able to. But I don't have that many for, for specifically for vegans, which is a big reason why I created the course you know, I didn't just want to say like, sorry, can't help you or sorry, it's going to be several months probably on my wait list. But you know, here, here is a resource for you, especially if you're looking for more of that nutrition piece. So the course isn't like teaching you the, the principles of intuitive eating, but it's teaching vegan nutrition kind of through that lens. So, so to speak. Yeah. Tell us where we can go and purchase. Yeah. Yep. You can head to my website, taylorwolfram.com. And at the top menu, there's a button to to the course to learn about the course and to hop in there if you want. You're welcome to join anytime. It's, it's pre-recorded so you can go at your own pace and kind of, you know, go slowly if you want, pause, re-listen, go back, do what you need to do. There's a lot of content in there. It's over six hours. <laughs> And there's handouts and transcripts and stuff. So there's lots of info for for folks to dig through. I love it. So as far as following you on social media, I absolutely love your Instagram. Tell us how we can follow you on social media and anything else that you want to tell us before we wrap up. Oh, thank you. Yeah, Instagram, I'm Taylor Wolfram RD. I'm also Taylor Wolfram RD on Twitter and Facebook. I'd say I'm probably most active on Instagram. Hmm. Yeah. So this was such a pleasure. Thank you so, so much for sharing your expertise and also being like a voice for people who don't really feel like they necessarily fit in like me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I appreciate it. And when I say that, I, I want to say this. I don't feel like it's a bad thing. I'm actually used to it. And I think that that kind of is my superpower, the fact that I don't fit in so that I can draw in people who also don't feel like they necessarily fit into when it comes to that. So yeah, I don't think it's a bad thing. I hope it doesn't sound like a pity party because it's not that. It's just like, I just know that to be true, but I know that just being myself will draw the people who need it. So that's important Absolutely. Yeah. And you do fit in, right? Even if you don't look like the stereotype, <laughs> that doesn't mean that you're not welcome or there's not a place for you. And and I'm so grateful for you and, and I'm happy you're here. And, and thank you again for inviting me on the show. 
Of course, it was such a pleasure. And I hope that we can connect again soon. I know, of course, it'll be on Instagram, (laughs) but hopefully we can connect in some other way. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the show. If you're enjoying the podcast, be sure to rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts to make it easy for others to find us. Also, tell a friend. Be sure to share the episode on your Instagram stories and tag Brown Vegan. Thank you so much for your support and I'll talk to you next week. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.